Was anybody surprised when Pastor Roman didn't walk up here? <laughs> I'm very humbled to bring the word this morning to you all. It's such a blessing to be with you, as uh, we all know. And the Folias had a excellent trip, a very fruitful trip. A uh, time of relaxing. It snowed on them while they were there. Their plane got back in time as well. So the reason I'm here is Pastor Roman and I had a conversation, and we didn't know whether, you know, if there were going to be delays in his plane or whatever. And so uh, I offered to bring the word this Sunday so he was able to relax all week long in Canada with, with the family. Uh, so they're back, and he gets to... Um, just enjoy the fellowship and uh, worship uh, from down there today. So um, our scripture today is going to be from Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 31, if you will turn with me there. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verses 20 and 21, that'll be our anchor passage that guides our uh, look at the scriptures today. I've been reading through the Old Testament, and uh, the, the story of Hezekiah just really jumped out, and I, I really appreciated it, and I thought, oh, I want to share that with everyone. So the, the Old Testament... You know, you, you might have heard of it as being that of, of law, right? And then the New Testament is of grace, um, grace and faith. Um, but there is continuity between those two, and we see that in the faith of God's people. Hezekiah is one of those. Uh, you might have heard the law was delivered as a list of external regulations, like a list of do's and don'ts to be kept as the way to God? Or have you ever heard that Jesus took it to a whole new level when, he's, when he said and drew the focus to the heart? You know, we could ask the question of ourselves, what is it that God asks of us now on this side of the cross? What is it that God asks of his people? How are we to understand our relationship to God and how that impacts our life in Christ? So we'll look to 2 Chronicles today, and I hope to unpack this a little bit through the life of Hezekiah. Just to give a little background to the book, Chronicles was written as one whole book. We have first and second chronicles. Uh, it's often attributed to Ezra, the priest, having written it. He's called the chronicler. But the verses and the chapters that break down, you know this, they're not inspired. So it really is one book. So if you look at it that way, you'll see in chronicles, the first ch nine chapters, one through nine, are dedicated to the genealogies. We've seen at other times why those are important. Uh, then the next 30 chapters are dedicated to the life of David 
and Solomon. Uh, it starts at the death of Saul and then goes through. It follows the thread of the kings of Judah, the kings of the south. So the, the kingdom of Israel split after Solomon's reign. And Chronicles follows the kings of the south, the kings of Judah. Uh, if you read First and Second Kings, you'll see that it'll follow both the kings of the north and the south. We find ourselves in the middle of these remaining 26 chapters. There's four chapters dedicated to Hezekiah. So let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 31. We'll read verse 20 and 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it instructs us. We know that all scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we look to your scripture today. We pray that you would speak to us from your word, that I would not say anything that is not from you, and that we would see your character, your kindness, your love, your grace, your mercy, and that our relationship with you would be strengthened through this study. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just look at these verses really quick, and then we're going to jump around a little bit today. It's going to be a little bit different. Have your Bible-turning fingers ready. Uh, we'll have a few passages that we jump to. Um, I've heard sermons before where there's a little bit more broader, we can flow through the text, and um, I hope to inspire you to maybe go back and study the life of Hezekiah, read through it a little bit um, slower and and appreciate what God did through him in his life and um, and reign. But for now, let's look at these two verses. In verse 20, it says, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. Well, what did he thus do throughout all Judah? Let's ask that question first. Well, that's all that preceded in chapter 29, 30, and 31. So this is basically three quarters of the way through the four chapters dedicated to Hezekiah. And the thus is, well, thus. Everything that I just wrote about preceding in, you know, 29, 30, and 31. We'll jump into that in a little bit. But he, it says that, and he did what was good and right and faithful. 
So how do we know, how did Hezekiah know, what is good and right and faithful? How would he have known what to do? Uh, Ezra will elaborate on that in just a minute in our two verses, but for now, let's understand good is just pleasant, agreeable, good. Uh, the word right there just means straight or upright. And the word faithful is stability, certainty, truth, trust, trustworthiness. He did these things before the Lord his God. So these things that he was doing were an act of worship. What he did that was good and right and faithful were in acts of worship to his God. How he lived his life. Because he was doing those things before the Lord is gone. He lived to bring honor to the name of the Lord his God. He conducted himself on a daily basis through, though certainly not perfectly, through living for the Lord his God. Verse 21, let's keep going. Verse 21 there says, And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of his God. So stop right there for a second. Every work that he undertook in the house of his God. Well, what is that talking about? Well, we're going to jump into a little bit more detail. But for now, just a quick summary. He repaired the temple. He was restoring temple worship. He restored the Passover celebration. He was restoring the priestly ministry. It says, and and in accordance with the law and the commandments. So not only the work that he undertook in the house of God, but also the work that he took in accordance with the law and the commandments. He was restoring the burnt offerings, the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feasts. That's in chapter 31. He was restoring the tithes, the first fruit offerings, the, and giving to the priests and the Levites. So all these things that we'll look at in just a little bit more detail in a minute, he was doing seeking his God. You see that there in verse 21? Seeking his God. So he wasn't just saying, oh, well, I'll just... I think this is a good idea. We should just do this. And so he did it. He didn't come up with his own plan. He was seeking his God in that. And that, knowing what God wanted, was found in Scripture, was it not? So there at the end of verse 21, it says, He did with all his heart. So all these things, every work that he undertook, he did with all his heart. Right? So this, this is in worship to the Lord his God. This is what he is doing. This is how he is living his life. The end there it says, and prospered. Everything we have is God's gift. It's, it's his gift to us 
for a short time on this earth to manage, and he prospered in what he was doing. Everything we do before God in worship, it's for his glory. And the implication here being that that was a good thing that he was prospering. So now let's take a look at how would Hezekiah have known what to do? Before we look at what he did, let's see what, what did he look to to know what to do in worship to his God. So let's turn back to Leviticus 19. This is the first jump. Leviticus 19. I want to give just an example. It's the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You had, in the, in the law, you had three different portions. The ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. And this is an example of the moral law here. But Israel was in a very bad place when Hezekiah took uh, office, when he began to reign. They were in a very bad place, and they had forsaken all of it. They had forsaken ceremonial law, the civil law, the moral law. It, it, was, it was a mess, and we'll see that in a minute. But let's find out how would they have known what God had expected of his people. So Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1, 1 and 2 says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see here God asking his people to be like him. He's saying, I want you to be holy because I am holy. Let's look at a few examples because uh, it's elaborated on here in, in Leviticus 19. Let's just touch on a few. Very fascinating. Um, for example, verse 9. Don't reap your entire harvest. Leave some for the poor. Right? Or verse 11. Do not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Or verse 12, you shall not swear by na my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Notice here that after every section of uh, commands and prescriptions, God gives the justification, I am the Lord. God is holy. You shall not oppress your neighbor, verse 13, or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Basically, pay your workers on time. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin against, uh, because of him. You see, they would have known 
they could have known, they should have known here that this is the heart of God. And he was drawing their attention to their heart. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Not only do you not murder, but you shall not hate your brother even in your heart, right? Murder starts with hate. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Remember when the Pharisee asked Jesus, he was trying to trap Jesus, and he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus told him the greatest commandment, which we'll look in just a second. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He was just repeating what Moses had written here in Leviticus. This is the heart of God. This is what God desires. Just three more because I found them um, fascinating. Verse 32. You can read through this on your own if, if you're interested later, but... Uh, Verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. He's even saying we need to honor the elderly. This is really practical stuff, isn't it? Verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do You shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting? Treat the strangers, the sojourners, as one of you and love them. 35. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. So you see, God is saying here in the law, here's who I am. Here's what I expect. You shall be holy because I am holy. And all these things, none of us would argue, oh no, that's not a good idea to do. right? Because God is the one who sets the standard of goodness. Let's jump forward to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, so Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just a little bit forward. Chapter 6, Deutero, the second, not uh, onomy, the, the law, second giving of the law. Moses is reiterating a lot of the things that he had written already. But we find the, the, uh, the great Shema. This is the greatest commandment where Jesus uh, identified. But starting in verse 4 of chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You see... This is a love relationship, right? God is saying, I want you to love me. And when you love me, you serve me with all your heart, you see? It was always a matter of the heart. It was never a matter of just rote obedience that 
they had to do. Um, verse 14, you can see he follows up on that. You shall, uh, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroys you from off the face of the earth. So God is saying, I want you to love me. But if you don't, you hate me. You are like the other nations that I'm driving out before you. Right? Jump forward to chapter 10. I think this might be the last place we jump. It's always a matter of the heart. Just to drive that point home, in chapter 10, after Moses had gotten the second set of tablets, uh, they had made the golden calf. Moses got mad. He broke the tablets. Uh, or um, yeah, Moses was mad, and God was, was angry. Uh, but after he had gotten the new tablets of stone uh, with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, he says in verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, and then if you drop down even verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. You see, he's saying here, it's a matter of your heart. I want your love. And your love is worked out in your keeping my commandments. And we looked at a few of them. Don't steal. Don't defraud. Have just weights and balances. Those kinds of things, right? Those are the things that would mark God's people. That is not the, those are not the things that marked the nations that did not know God. And... God here gives the justification as describing his character. You see that in verse, well, I started reading it in verse 17, and then in verse 18, he continues. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve. You see, he continues on and he says, here's what I'm telling you to do. I want you to love me. This is a love relationship. And here's what, here's who I am. I love the sojourner, for example. Uh, he is, God is just example. So now let's 
jump back. Well, let me just make sure I'm not forgetting anything here. Continue all the way down. That's right. If you want to look at this into a little bit more, continue all the way down through chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. And I encourage you, count the number of times he mentions the word love and heart. Love and heart. That's what God wants of his people. And the desire for God to have a relationship with his people in this manner continued all the way down through the ages, continued down through the time of the judges and the kings, the prophets, the exile, the return, and even even to the coming of Messiah, even to the coming of Jesus Christ. We just went through this, John 14, 23 through 24. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The same Father that wrote this, wrote and gave the words to Jesus, right? He said, these are not my words. These are the words of the Father who sent me. Another one, 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. Peter's exhorting them to be holy, and he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Sound familiar? We just looked at that, right? This is a love relationship of those whom God has called to himself. And it's not a burdensome obligation. It's a joyful relationship with your Father who's in heaven. Right? Bear in mind, this is not a way to earn favor with God. If you keep his commandments to earn favor with God, you simply cannot do it. Because even our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Earlier in that passage uh, from Peter, Peter opened that chapter with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Or Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So all the ceremonial law was pointing toward this fact, right? And we, on this side of the cross, look back to the Messiah. And we recognize that it is what he did on our behalf that justifies us, restores our relationship with our creator, with God, and enables us to have that love relationship that we were looking at through the law. 
So that brings us to the failure. So let's go back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Had the people of Israel done this? Had they stayed in love with their God? And it just reminds me of Jesus talking to the the Jews of the day, saying, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? God was always saying that, right? Let's go all the way back to chapter 27. We're just going to touch on it. I want to start with Hezekiah's grandfather. Um, Hezekiah's great-grandfather, Uzziah, uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, although he did have trouble, but um, also was characterized by repentance and restoration. Uh, King Jotham, in verse 27, this is Hezekiah's grandfather now, it says in verse 2, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. According to all that his father Uzziah had done, except... He did not enter the temple of the Lord, but the people still followed corrupt practices. So this is interesting now because two generations, yeah, that's one, two generations, his grandfather uh, is doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord as the leader of the people of Israel. But there's two little exceptions here that the writer throws in. It says that he, except he did not enter the temple of the Lord. So he just got away from the proper worship just a little bit. He wasn't entering the temple of the Lord. And he also did not lead the people well at all because the people still followed corrupt practices. So here you see the people definitely getting away from the relationship with the Lord their God. And you see even the king doing what's right except he didn't enter the temple of the Lord and didn't lead the people properly. Jotham, uh, verse 6, Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord has gone. So, mostly good, just a couple of nuanced exceptions, right? Jump to chapter 28, And you see King Ahaz, his son, now, in verse 1 of chapter 28, 2 Chronicles. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations. One generation, or maybe two, if you think about his father just getting away from the worship just a little bit. One generation, and he is completely and utterly rejecting God. He's making idols, he's offering his sons, burning his sons, this child sacrifice 
that was an abomination of the nations. The consequences were devastating to Judah. They were absolutely devastating. Verse 6, well, verse 5, Therefore the Lord, gave, uh, the Lord his God gave him into the hand of the king of Assyria. So this is it. God says, you do not love me. And you remember God is also a God of his promises. The promises that he kept that they would be decimated where they did not serve God. And the, the consequences were, were, were devastating. Verse 6, 120,000 from Judah fell in one day. I mean, think about if you were living in Jerusalem and it was your men who were... Uh, going to try to defend against this attack of the king of Syria that, uh, that God was doing, and 120,000 of them in one day. It's, it's just absolute devastation and destruction. It says there, because, in verse 6, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Uh, verse 19, we'll move a little quicker through this. Verse 19 uh, says in chapter 28, For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. You see, Ahaz was unfaithful to the Lord and also made Judah, brought, brought Judah, brought the people along with him. And it got worse in, chapter, in verse 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. So you see, the writer is bringing out this, this element of it's the faith or the lack thereof in God, in his promises, in what he had prescribed, that is causing the person to act in the way, in this case, King Ahaz and the people of Judah, to act in the way that they were. Completely had no faith in, in the Lord. And what was it that God had asked them for? Asked the people of Israel for, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's, that's what God wanted, and Ahaz had gotten completely away from that. The, de the devastation was, was very apparent, and just as a side note, uh, Isaiah was a prophet that lived from King Uzziah, through the time of Hezekiah and just past, probably into the, the uh, reign of Manasseh. So these five kings. So Isaiah, if you read the writings of Isaiah, what he's writing about uh, corresponds to various events of these, um, these kings. You can read about King Ahaz, for example, in Isaiah, uh, and also King Hezekiah. 
And you remember, like, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, he talks about, the Lord talks about how your sacrifices are an abomination to me. I'm tired of your burnt offerings. Um, you know, I want you to love justice and seek justice in the land. You remember that? And Judah had just completely gotten away from that. Uh, it says that Ahaz closed the doors of the house of God, and he um, even pawned off the, the sacred vessels in the temple. It was, uh, it was very bad. So that's where we see Hezekiah begin to reign. And verse 2 of chapter 29, this, this brings us to the faith, the faith of Hezekiah. Chapter 29, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. So these are the kings in succession of David. And it says that he did what was right according to all that his father David had done. Did he just do that in a vacuum as you know, a robot that's like, oh, this is what God wants me to do, so I do it. No, he understood, and I hope to draw that out in the time that we have remaining, he understood that relationship that God was asking for. So what did he do? Let's just, I'm, I, I, I hope to just go quickly through these um, these chapters and just draw out the times. This is supposed to inspire you to say, hey, I want to read in detail about Hezekiah and the things he did. So we're definitely not going to cover it all, but let's look at them. In verse 3, he starts cleansing the temple. Remember, Ahaz had completely just done away with the temple worship. Close the doors. Let it fall into disrepair. And you see in verse 3, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This is the first thing that is recorded for us that he did here in Chronicles. And it was the first step to restoring the, the temple worship. He assembled the priesthood and said, carry out the filth from this holy place. In verse 5, you see in verse 5, and in verse 10, he says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Think about it. He's a leader that inherited absolute devastation. Absolute devastation. And he is, in his heart, making a covenant with the Lord. We can see later, and I don't know that we'll have time to get into it, but he prayed a lot to the Lord. He prayed to his God, and he prayed alongside Isaiah. Isaiah was a very close friend uh, and companion and um, fellow minister, really, in the things of the Lord and what he was doing. So he had the support of Isaiah the prophet. But this is what he determines in his heart, you see? 
It started in his heart. In verse 19, he cleanses the temple. All the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So this is the priest, the leader of the priests, reporting to Hezekiah. Hezekiah had said, here's what I want you to do. The, repeat, the, the priest came back and reported and said, look, we've done it. You know, we've restored the utensils. And uh, they threw in there when King Hezekiah had discarded them when he was faithless, right? So you see the faith of Hezekiah in contrast to his father and undoing that. The next thing, he restored the temple sacrifice. He restored the temple worship. In verse 25... It says, he stationed the Levites in the house of God with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So what, what he had done, the, the temple worship had completely stopped. And he was restoring that. So they were resto- he was restoring the proper sacrificial system, the priests, working out what God had said, which was, as we know, the symbol of the Messiah, and he was restoring the worship service. And I didn't really realize this, but I hope, I hope this brings just a little smile to your face because it did to mine. This section here, I didn't realize this, but during the sacrifices, there was a lot of music going on. It's very fascinating. Cymbals, harps, lyres. Uh, in... In verse 27, it says, uh, And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also. And the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king uh, of David, king of Israel. Verse 28, The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. Verse 29, All who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. In verse 30, the end of verse 30 there. And they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshipped. You see, the Levites were commissioned to basically create music during the temple sacrifice. And it was basically a worship service. You see, restoring what had been lost. Rather than worshiping the Baals, Hezekiah is drawing the people back to say, no, you love the Lord your God. And we looked at some of what he described, and we certainly don't have time to go through all of it, but Hezekiah is restoring that. He also restored the temple giving. You see in verse 31, 
Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices, and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, all that were of a willing, look at it, heart brought burnt offerings. You see, so it was their heart that was turning back to God. And we know that God is the one who works faith in the heart. But all these external manifestations of what he was doing to restore the temple worship here was flowing out of the heart of worship, the heart of faith, the trust that was being changed from the false gods back to the one true God. That love relationship being restored. You see it even in verse 34. I know we're moving quickly through this, but verse 34. Um, the Levites had to start helping out the priests uh, because not all of them... Let's see. Let's just read the whole verse. But the, the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in, see it there, heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. So again, this is a matter of the heart, and the Levites had, by this time, turned their hearts to worship God. Thus the house of the Lord was restored. This is the working out of the faith of Hezekiah. It is what he purposed and what God did in his heart to restore that relationship with him. And oh, I wish we had time to go through it, but the, the challenges that he faced and the working of his faith through those challenges in conjunction with and praying with Isaiah. Um, but let's keep moving. The Passover celebration. We're going to, to celebrate the Lord's table in just a few moments, but he, he restored the Passover feast. You notice in, verse, in chapter 30, we're in chapter 30 now, in verse 5, and the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly, so they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So God had said, you shall do this, and they had not done it, and he was restoring that. And he says there in verse 6, the, the message was, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. Remember the devastation that had happened. And they're calling back. Do not be, verse 7, do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a desolation as you see. 
So this was the proclamation he had sent out through all the land, and they were going to celebrate the Passover. And you see there in verse, you get a little glimpse into the nature of God in this chapter. Verse 9 of chapter 30. Look there. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is, look at it, gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Calling the people back to repentance. um, Extolling the nature of God. Being gracious and merciful. And you see this play out because they do celebrate the Passover. That You can read this section. It's all the details of what they did to, to, um, to make that happen. The problem was that, uh, well, in verse 17, the problem was not everybody was, was properly ceremonially cleansed. And uh, look how Hezekiah deals with this. It's very fascinating. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet, they ate the Passover. Otherwise, than as prescribed for and look at this this is the insight of hezekiah's heart for the people leading them back to true worship restoring that relationship with god and the nature of god may the may the good lord pardon everyone who sets his look at it heart to seek god the lord the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. So you have the ceremony, the outward working out of what God had said to do, which contained all the symbolism, and they didn't follow it exactly. You see this here. They didn't follow it exactly, but Hezekiah prayed For them. He prayed for them, and he said what we just read in verse 20 And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. See, God was getting their heart back. And it was not, it was not a perfect implementation. You see that here. That's not what God was concerned about. We, we, we talked about in Isaiah. He was saying, even if you had a perfect implementation, if I didn't have your heart, I wouldn't have, I, and I don't like it. I've had enough of your burnt offerings, he says. But in this case, they, re, they re-implemented the Passover, though not exactly perfectly. And Hezekiah prays for them. And the Lord healed the people. What a great time of restoration. And what a, what a great time of celebration. The Passover would have been a, a big celebration. People were coming from all over to celebrate the Passover. So 
we see that the, the ceremony, the pomp, the symbols, all of that on the surface, that, that doesn't matter. Like Dean said earlier, we don't come for the show. Uh, that's not what the people did. You can see in, in verse 12, the, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart. I think that's verse 12. Let me see which. Of chapter 30, not 31. Yeah. Yeah, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes had commanded. So this is God doing this work in their hearts. You see that? For the sake of time, we'll move a little quicker. I wish, I wish we had more time. I'm just going to touch on, I'll just uh, say just a few things that he did. I hope you're inspired to read this story uh, with, with more detail. But he was destroying idols. He was restoring the priestly ministry and, and the order. He was restoring burnt offerings, Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feasts. That's 31 verse 3. He was restoring the tithes, the first fruit offerings and the giving um, that had been prescribed. And it was all in accordance with the law and the commandments. We saw that in our anchor verses here. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord is God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Read, um, if, you, if, if you are inspired to, to go further, um, 2 Kings chapters 18 to 19 describe the, the time of Hezekiah, and also Isaiah chapter 36 to 37. Um, they're following in 32, there's, there's not a lot of detail, there's more detail in the book of Isaiah, um, and how he and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord when uh, the king of Assyria was um, coming against them. And it was a very trying time, you can imagine, as the leader of God's people and restoring and a, a very um, big test of faith. And he and Isaiah pray together. Um, well, you see that in, in verse 20 of 32. Hezekiah, the, the king, and Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel. So... Um, you see the heart of Hezekiah before his gone, and the idea here would be to be inspired for that love relationship. And I'll talk about just a moment how, how we do that, uh, this side of the cross. 
But I just wanted to touch one more thing about Hezekiah. Was he perfect? Did he do it all? Did he do it all uh, did, right? Did he trust God at every moment? Um, no, he didn't. He was, he was human like the rest of us. And you can see in verse 25 of chapter 32, uh, he, had, he had become very sick. He prayed to the Lord. God had healed him, and he became uh, prideful. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his, see it there, heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him in the days of Hezekiah. So you see there, even he became prideful and uh, was then humbled again. That is, that is our um, charter, to walk humbly before our Lord, our God, right? And we... We can be inspired by um, the, the men of faith who became uh, or who came before us, and yet the object of our faith, who we trust now, as we know, is Jesus Christ, right? Christ was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb that Hezekiah was restoring in the temple worship, right? Christ is the Messiah, the promised one whom God had promised. And if you read the prophet Isaiah, you can see some pretty amazing things written about Messiah, right? The things that Hezekiah certainly would have been privy to because he was friends with Isaiah, um, the writings there, like Isaiah chapter 53, almost verbatim description of Christ and his work on the cross for us. So what does it mean then? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. As we've seen, it's a love relationship. It's a relationship with God. It's one that is created in Christ Jesus when we trust in him. So if you're here today and you have yet to trust the Savior and you have yet to cast your cares upon him, I exhort you to do that today, to trust the things that he has promised in Christ. That has always been the call of faith. It's always been a call to trust the promises of God. As Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so we believe God now today in trust in the Savior. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. 
So that love relationship now is through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we seek on a daily basis to live out our lives, not as the robot that's, well, this is what he told me to do, right? But as a love relationship with our Father in heaven, right? He has forgiven our sins in Christ. He has cleansed us of our iniquity. He has given us many great and precious promises. And so we love him, and we serve him, and we obey him. We fight the spiritual battle as Brandon was bringing to us in Sunday school with the armor of God, and we do that through the power of his might. As we turn our hearts to the Lord's table, uh, we can use this moment as a time to evaluate do we have any areas of pride in our hearts? Uh, I'm thinking about this for myself, and we can think about this together. And individually, in the quietness of our heart, do we know any area where we are not trusting God, where, where we are failing to love the Lord our God with that area of our life? You see? Uh, where we are not loving the Lord our God with all of our might. Uh, because he gives us many great and practical instructions, and we, we often fail to keep them, and we know that that's, um, that is possible as fallen men and women this side of glory, but we rest in the hope that God will perfect us one day. So we return to him, as Hezekiah did, as he brought the people to do as well. We return to the Lord, and we can use this moment as a time of reflection to repent of any secret sin that we may be hiding, to, to uh, ask the Lord to do that in our hearts. Remember we saw that verse, that it was God who was doing it in the hearts of the people, even in the time of Hezekiah. To ask him that uh, he might do that um, for us this morning. So if the men will come forward now um, for the Lord's table.